declare that I own the rights to this song and give permission to Femme and the Fired Up Network for its use. Hi, my name is Shauna Brown and I am the host of Talk with Shauna. I'm a singer, songwriter, recording artist, currently living in Brampton, Ontario, originally from Wolfville, Nova Scotia. The theme song to my show is actually my original song called Turn Up the Microphone. You can find it on YouTube. If you could all subscribe to my channel, Shauna Brown on YouTube, that would be awesome. Thanks everybody for watching and here's the show. Hello everyone. I am very pleased to have one of my good friends on the show for a second time today. She's a registered social worker, a trained trauma therapist with over 15 years of providing counseling and support services for clients that have survived traumatic situations in their life. Her name is Sashira Banerjee. Welcome to the show, Sashira. How are you? I am very well, Shauna. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Uh, I'm really, really happy to be here with you today. Amazing. Now, we had a really good first episode, mm -hmm. you and I, and we talked about a lot of things. Yep. Now, our, our last episode, we discussed women's self-care and mm -hmm. how it's very much individualized. Having a healthy and respectful relationship, a supportive relationship, is very important in our own self-care as women, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we touched on characteristics of unhealthy relationships, which included things like love bombing, gaslighting, mm -hmm. projections, humiliation, etc. Here's a clip of my previous episode with Sashira Banerjee. Going out of a toxic relationship is never, never an easy task. But I think right. the first starting point that I do want to leave your audience with is yes. to start tuning into your own bodies. We are talking about women's self-care today. A very mm. critical factor in the self-care aspect is to take five to 10 minutes every day when you have the moment, when you have the space in your day to just sit down somewhere quiet, ground your feet firmly on the ground because the ground never leaves you. Your, mm. Whether it's your, you know, whether you love to sit on the floor or you like to lie down, ground yourself, feel the floor, the bed, the seat that you're sitting in, you know, feel it on your body, like feel the touch of it on your body. Focus on your breathing. Tell yourself that you're safe. Tell yourself that you're enough. That I think is mm. the first starting point, recognizing how your body is responding to different people and different situations. There is a beautiful book, Shauna, which I would recommend mm. that you uh, share with your audience. It's called yeah. as Body Keeps a Score. And mm. the author is Bessel uh, van der Kolk, very well-known uh, trauma therapist. He's worked years uh, with a different group of clients, uh, you know, and he's written this book, which is amazing if people want to read it. But it exactly says what we are talking about here, that those chronic headaches, chronic neck pains, your shoulders going up like this when you're mm. around people, your back pain, your IBS, it has an emotional reason. And the first step towards taking care of yourself is to recognize that my body is a mirror of what I'm feeling. My Absolutely. body is a mirror of where I am. My body is a mirror mm. of how safe I am. So with your partner, if it is giving you signals, time to be curious. Are there red flags that I mm. need to notice? Why am I feeling so agitated around this person? Why is it that my breathing gets shallow every time I'm around my partner? 
every right. time he broaches a topic or i broach a topic on finances why is it that the next thing i know i get this nasty headache right your yes. body always keeps a score Absolutely. so i would I want can... to leave your audience with this thought mm -hmm. that self care you make your choice you know what works best for you but at the same time the first step is start tuning into your body start tuning into how you feel in separate circumstances in your life yes well i can tell you from personal experience when i was in my unhealthy relationship mm. i had my arms were up like this mm. and i'm talking all the time and it took me a long time after getting out of it for them to come back down and i didn't even really notice when i was in it and that must have been my way of sort of compartmentalizing it mm. you know uh, storing mm. it somewhere else Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that speaking from my personal experience, that's what's happened to me. Um, and so even if you're not acknowledging it in your brain, your body is telling you, it's telling yeah. you something's wrong here. This isn't good. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I agree with you on that. And I actually, um, recommend everybody here watching right now to go check out this book, read it. I think it'll be a great read. I want to go read it myself too. I think it'd be really informative. That toxicity and unhealthy relationships can be on a continuum. There could be mm. some that you can work out. There could be some mm. that are beyond repair. But I think the first step for anybody who's recognizing red flags in their relationship is to mm. ex acknowledge that there is a red flag and it has yes. nothing to do with me. But mm. I am in this unhealthy setup. It is not serving me well. So the next step is to decide what do I do now? Do I continue yes. staying in it? If I have to continue because of practical and emotional reasons, then the next thing is, as I said, the first thing, recognizing how your body is responding, yes. doing some mindfulness, grounding, breathing every day. The second thing I would recommend is looking for your support people. All mm. of us have a community. And yes. you will know when you find your community. And again, going back to my earlier point, your body will tell you when you have your community. Yes. Because your body will relax completely, you know, and you'll feel that. You'll see your shoulders dropping. You'll feel that you're laughing pretty, you know, without any hesitation. Your mm. smile is without any hesitation when you're around people who are your people, your community. And when I say yeah. your community, I don't mean in a cultural or ethnic manner. I mean right. more in terms of people who wouldn't judge you for who you are. People wouldn't, yes. who wouldn't victim shame you. For me... Mm -hmm. In so many years, I would say my the community that I practice yoga with on a regular basis, that is one of the communities that I have recognized in my life as my safe space. Because every time I go there physically into the studio, I feel as if I've come home. I'm at peace with myself. I'm at peace mm. with whatever, wherever I am. So I think the first step, as I said, recognizing your body, recognizing your triggers, identifying your support people, if you have to be in that relationship, always recognizing that any form of violence is not okay. And right. if you see the violence escalating, you need to seek help. And help yes. doesn't need to be in form of you calling the police always. It could just mean talking to a therapist. There are plenty of community resources out there that are available for counseling, which are free of course. And now we'll bring you back to our current episode. Now there's one topic that we touched on and that was the trauma bond. Mm -hmm. Now we hear this around a lot and I'm wondering if you could explain that 
to us. What is a trauma bond exactly? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try, you know, probably explaining it as simply as possible, because as you said, this jargon or this word is being used quite casually nowadays, right? It is, yes. In simple terms, a trauma bond is a relationship between the person and an abusive partner. Now, that partner could be an intimate partner. It could be sometimes a friend. It could be even a parent, actually, for that matter. And often a trauma bond, as the name suggests, because there is chronic abuse in that relationship. And that abuse is often coupled with good times. And then the abuse comes. And then again, there are there is good times. Like It's like a roller coaster often, that kind of a relationship where you have this really, really good attachment with the person. The person is paying attention to you, loving you, showering you with gifts and appreciation, and suddenly starts finding faults with things which previously they used to appreciate and you start doubting yourself and you're like okay did I do something wrong did I say something wrong and they actually make sure that you do feel that you said something wrong or you did something wrong and if you could have done it differently they would have continued loving you in that format so to simplify this what it means is you as the victim or the survivor starts actually rationalizing and starts somewhere normalizing that behavior of the abuser And that's a trauma bond. Often you might have heard this term Stockholm syndrome, where people who have lived in captivity for many years actually start seeing reason in why their abusers kept them captive. Oh, he he had a very difficult childhood or, you know, um, she actually had these problems because of which she did this. She was just angry because or he was just angry because I did something to make them angry. So you don't really see the problem with the behavior, but you start justifying it. And the, the side effect of that justification is you start finding ways to fix yourself or fix the situation when actually the situation or the person is not really in your control. You're a part of that situation. You're not the one who's completely controlling it, right? So that's a trauma bond, a relationship between the victim and the abuser. And like I said, where the victim or the survivor starts justifying the behavior of the abuser as that's normal. It was justified for him or her to do it. Right, yes. And so that ends up bringing you back in when you're the victim, right? Because you're waiting for that next high of when that person's going to love bomb you and treat you, put you on a pedestal. And it's that's how you can get caught up in that mm-hmm. whirlwind, right, of mm-hmm. emotions. Yeah. Now, quite often an unhealthy relationship can consist of a narcissist mm-hmm. and an empath. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. can you explain to the viewers what exactly a narcissist is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the term narcissism, again, just like trauma bonding, is quite commonly used uh, nowadays. It is. Right? So mm-hmm. I do want to tell the viewers that there could be toxic people in your life who have narcissistic tendencies. Yes. And there could be people who actually have a diagnosis of a narcissistic personality disorder. And there's a bit of a difference there. Because a person who's toxic and has narcissistic tendencies often, you know, are dangerous. They are n- not really healthy people in your in your life. However, sometimes with the right help, if you if they are open to listening to you, if they are open to correcting themselves, there is a certain amount of empathy in people like that. 
right. sometimes it might work that they understand it and they fix themselves or they you know help get help for themselves but when you're talking about somebody who has say narcissistic personality disorder that talks about actually a psychological condition and yeah. that does not develop in a day and right. that often has a lot of history behind it but whether it's a person who has the tendency or whether it's somebody who has the disorder in both cases a narcissist is someone as the name suggests someone who has this sense of grandeurs about themselves a sense of unreasonable entitlement which is actually often coupled by complete lack of empathy for the other person in the relationship everything is about themselves right so i'll give you an example um we probably walk into you know a party or a social event and somebody behaves in a certain way with this individual they are not going to see if you know they did something in that situation to trigger that behavior it's all right. about oh why did they behave like this with me or why was i treated like this with me, like this right yeah. so right. it's all about them there is no empathy no reciprocity for the other person in that relationship narcissists often also use a lot of toxic behaviors to control the victim control the partner control the other person in that relationship and we can talk a little bit about what that control what that power cycle can look like yes. but if i have to make it very simple a narcissist often is someone who doesn't have the capacity to feel empathy and we can go into detail about why that's the case there's a lot of medical research there's a lot of research showing why people develop those kind of tendencies or why would they be diagnosed with that kind of a disorder but bottom line is that they can't feel the empathy for the other person right so all they are using this person for is a supply they are a, this person is a supply for their emotions their status you the way you dress up is what decides how i look like in a social circle Right. the way you behave will make me look in a certain way in circle of friends so it's all about me nothing yeah. about you you're not existent in that relationship at all actually very true very very true yeah. now an empath mm -hmm. on the other hand is different than that right an empath completely yeah so how would you characterize an empath so it's the complete complete opposite of the continuum actually So an empath is someone who has a heightened self and perception of other people's emotions. Right. Which is a beautiful thing yes. if there is reciprocity. So say for example, I see you, I know you Shona for so many years now. Yeah. I see you at at some point and you're looking really upset as an empath. I I don't have to you don't have to really tell me anything. Right. Just by looking at your body language often I would be like, "Oh my god, is she going through a hard time? Is that something that I can help her with?" and right. i will lean into it but the other person if they are reciprocal they would probably take the time to talk about what's happening or give a context empaths are people like that who automatically get drawn to people in need they automatically get drawn to helping others they automatically get drawn to uh, you know they have a heightened perception of other people's emotions through their reactions nonverbal cues all of that but this uh, unfortunate flip side of it is that they often actually are not able to set boundaries very clearly around themselves because they are so involved in taking yeah. care of the other person so, so you asked me you know who is an empath and i think yeah. the biggest quality of an empath is heightened sense of perception heightened yeah. sense of perception about other people's feelings 
their emotions. Um, you know, are they feeling bad? Are they feeling bad because I did something? Do I need to do something to fix it? So it's kind of a, uh, you know, double whammy here because you're really, really perceptive and you're looking at other people constantly and trying to figure out how they are doing. But at the yeah. same time, often you're personalizing things as an empath. Yes. You're almost taking it on thinking that maybe I did something or maybe I could have done something differently to make this person feel better. There is that huge sense of responsibility, unreasonable responsibility sometimes that empaths take on because of which they also don't have very clear boundaries around themselves. Yes. So they'll go out of their way sometimes to help other people. They will go out of their way to take care of others. They're not going to pay attention to their own needs sometimes uh, just so that they can make the other person happy. And I think majority of women across the world I would say fit in that category. Yeah, I would you know? And And I think it doesn't matter what country, what community, what culture you're coming from. I think the way women are socialized culturally, I think focuses so much on you need to lean into other people's needs. Your existence, your purpose often is you have to fulfill a role as a mother, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter. Yes. Right? Don't you find that women are thought of as having to be more forgiving than mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to having affairs and cheating and different things like that. I find women feel like they're supposed to let those things slide yep. more so than a man, right? Yeah. Yep. The majority. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from how we've been conditioned as a society, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And to be the ones to be more forgiving and to be the ones to fix mm -hmm. things and to mm -hmm. be the ones to do that. And so, of course, that's what we're going to do because that's how we've been conditioned. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and on, honestly, to your point, we have seen this generation after generation, right? Yes. Because one is the conditioning you're talking about, but one's, one is also what you're seeing around in your environment, actually. So yeah. if I have to tell you, like, I, I remember that when um, uh, I was pretty young at that time and I, not really young, I was a teenager. And I remember, uh, you know, sometimes my father would uh, use humor. He would make jokes like, it's great you're studying, but you have to also learn how to cook because that's kind of your primary role when you grow up and get married. Getting married was the ultimate goal. Studying yes. wasn't. Also, when I got married, I remember the elder elders in my family, especially the women in my family, telling me how, you know, making sure that your relationships in your in-laws home is managed well is your responsibility. Whereas if you know, culturally in Indian families, it's the woman who goes to her husband's house. And I think that's the culture across the world. Hardly have we ever seen men come into their wives' homes and live there. Right. The ways that the wife or the woman has to go into, she has to change her last name. She has to take on the responsibility of, you know, building those new relationships without realizing that she's leaving her own family behind. Right. And what's the message that's given? It's in your hands how well this marriage is going to work. Right. And, and she's the one compromising all of those things, right? Constantly, constantly. So it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, another thing that we touched on briefly the last episode, which we had a great time talking last time, yeah. I'm happy to have you back. What is the narcissistic abuse cycle? Mm -hmm. Is that pretty much the same as the trauma bond or is that a little bit different? So I think the trauma bond is something that gets 
formed because of those steps in the yes. abusive cycle. So we right. could talk a little bit about the steps. And I'm always careful that when we say that there's a cycle, when there, when we say there are steps in a cycle, it's not a linear journey. It's not right. that, oh, you finish this step and then you move on to the next. Right. It's a cycle. It's a circle, mm. actually. So it's sometimes months, years of being in that circle and being trapped in that cycle of abuse, which causes the trauma bond. Yes. Because when you say a narcissist, one of the biggest control techniques a narcissist would use in a relationship is brainwashing. Yes. Actually making sure right at the get-go of the relationship that they are brainwashing their victims to believe that their behavior, their feelings, everything is dependent on that victim, dependent on that person. So to give you and so let's talk about the cycle, because that might make sense. Yeah. So the first stage of a narcissistic abusive cycle is always the honeymoon phase yes. or the love bombing phase, as sometimes it's called, or it's also sometimes uh, called as the idealization phase. Right. Now, this is a phase which is, I think, as the name suggests, it's the honeymoon phase. You're showered with gifts. You're showered with uh, appreciation. You're seen as a strong individual in that relationship. Everything that, you know, everything about you. If you So I'll give you an actual example from my own life. Like when I started dating my ex-husband, uh, the first few years of our relationship, I was showered by gifts that were like I was given, you know, things in gold. I was given clothes. I was taken to these fancy restaurants. It was all about you. Yeah. You're the central point in my life. Mm -hmm. However, however, while you're love bombing me, there were also these hints about, you know what, you probably should um, think about reducing your weight a little bit so that you could fit into those lovely clothes that we saw that day. Right. Or you should probably, you know, relax a little bit and start... Um, tolerating jokes when we are with friends, which are not really okay. Right. Right. Like jokes, perhaps at your expense, right? Yes. At your expense. And humiliate you or. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, right? yeah. yeah. So yeah. the idealization phase is not something where you're, you know, just being love bombed. That idealization phase often also has these little daggers in between right. daggers to say, which we don't really see as red flags which because we are so overwhelmed by that love yes exactly and love is exactly. taking the central attention in that phase right but if you pay closer attention you're going to see signs and red flags right there and then and again like i had said the last time shauna often those signs will not come here they will not come at an intellectual level but yes. you will feel it at the level of your body yes you're you body absorbs it. Like we talked about that book, The Body Keeps Score on our last yes. episode. Yes. And that's true. It, it does. You keep it in your body and that yeah. keeps the score, which is absolutely true, right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Now, moving from the idealization phase, often in a lot of narcissistic relationships, you're going to move towards something called as the devaluation phase. So right. the devaluation phase is somewhere where now this narcissistic individual in the relationship is identifying problems with you. Right. Everything that they had appreciated about you in the previous phase about you being this strong woman, you speak up for yourself, you're so eloquent, you're so uh, assertive becomes a problem now. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God, you're always getting into fights with other people. Oh, my God, how could you speak to my family like this? Right. 
right? Or how could you behave with my friend? He was just making a joke. Can't you even take jokes? Right. right? So there is a lot of gaslighting in that phase. Right. Yes. Yes. You, you're constantly second guessing because this beautiful, charming individual who was loving you, you were the center of their attention, suddenly is now finding faults with you. Is yeah. actually gaslighting your thinking, and you're making it's making you think. Okay, maybe I was a little aggressive, more than I should have been. Right, right. Yeah. Even if you were very justified in being assertive in that situation, but you're now second guessing yourself because he yeah. did not say that the last time, but now he's saying it. So maybe he's right. Maybe I need to taper it down a little bit. Right, and that's also it down. Right, breaking down your confidence levels. Absolutely, absolutely. The other thing that happens in this phase is a lot of um, projection. It's all your fault. I got angry because you behaved in this way. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I had things I remember, you know, in my own relationship, a lot of projection actually about how this relationship is not working because you're such a possessive, aggressive person without realizing that, okay, why am I being possessive or aggressive? Or is that really possessiveness or aggressiveness? Or is it insecurity because you're constantly going out and probably having affairs? Right. I'm just reacting to what you're doing. You're, I'm just reacting to what you're doing. You're presenting the context. My emotions and my body is responding to it. And then you are actually making me question my own reaction. You're making me question my own trust on myself. Right. So a yeah. lot of projection. Right. A lot of, um, you know, and I'm trying to think of uh, the word that is used, but a lot of uh, silence comes in this phase. So right. you're excluded from activities that you were included before. You're put right. down in front of other people. You're ignored. Right. Right. Silent treatment kind of Silent thing. Treatment. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to talk to you now for a week because yes. you didn't agree with what I did or something. Yes. And Being passive aggressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? And right. you deserve it. I, you actually spoke like that. So I have decided not to talk to you or not right. to respond. Right. Yes. Wow. I know it's, it's a lot involved in that. And that's a lot to go through. And that takes a big toll on your security and your yeah. confidence levels and, and trusting yourself and, and all of those things get broken down. Absolutely. Right? And I think what gets damaged the most, as you rightly said, is the sense of self, right? Yeah. So yeah. a lot of people who are in that devaluation discard phase, they start realizing something is not right. They start questioning this person's behavior. A lot of times women do that because, yeah. you know, disproportionately women, unfortunately, are the victims. I'm not saying men don't go through this. They absolutely yeah. do. But yeah. like when I look at my own life, Yes, there were those red flags. Right. I was aware that something is not going well. And right. a lot of times at that stage, victims actually start pulling out of the relationship. Yes. They start thinking about, should I think about breaking this up? It's not working for me. Right. I'm really feeling emotionally drained all the time. I'm not feeling fulfilled in this relationship. So they start contemplating it. It's not as if people don't realize it. Right. But what happens when they start contemplating, narcissists are very smart that way. Yes. They realize they are losing control. Mm -hmm. The control that they had on this victim. Yes. And what they start doing is they go back to the first phase of idealization. Right. Yes. They start love bombing again. 
they start gifting the person appreciating the person telling the person how much they love and how sorry they are about the behavior they're going to try their best to improve right and then you go oh there's that person i met in the beginning absolutely oh, there they are yeah okay they must be back because now i'm doing things right absolutely mm-hmm. right yeah. and and then again the cycle continues very true right now sometimes some people they do get out of the relationship sometimes you know i've seen a number of people you know in my work as well as personal life who have realized that no this is not going to work i can't keep going like this in a circle and move out but often in those relationships narcissists actually come back into their lives again right and right. there is that phase of hovering right where they actually hover back into your life yeah hovering is definitely right uh a very dangerous thing and it's something that they use right because they need to have a sense of validation and control yeah and of course they want to manipulate you so they come back and it's not because they love you or they want to yeah. change it's because they want to keep manipulating you and controlling you right absolutely absolutely and we get drawn back in well the, the victim gets drawn back in and then they're on the roller coaster again yeah they are they are Yeah. and this i would say often would happen when there are children in the relationship yes right because as parents you want the best for the child yes absolutely right? and as a mom as you said we want the best for our children absolutely so the, at that phase a lot of people take the individual back into their lives because they want to have they want to give them a chance there is hope right or they need it because they feel like it's almost their addiction like a drug that they need absolutely right absolutely and of course they're not going to feel good if they're away from that because they're used yeah. to having that high right yeah and so that's that makes a lot of sense you know i think uh, as simple as we make it sound it's not so simple to go through this no. as you rightly said shauna oh, no. and and i want to be very very uh, you know i want to emphasize this for our viewers that often we are not even aware as the survivor in that relationship that we are going through it Yes, yes, of course. Because you have to remember that a narcissist if a person really has that kind of a personality falls under the category of sociopaths. Yes, right? Yes. And you as an individual, you are expecting everything that a normal individual would expect in a naturally healthy relationship with another individual. Right. But a sociopath unfortunately neither is normal in any way true. and neither can empathize true very very true so i do want our viewers to really really pay attention to that piece that as simple as you and i are trying to make this uh cycle it may sound very very simple and why why wouldn't i really see the signs why wouldn't i really react when he's doing this or she's doing it it's not as simple to get out of it no no and it does happen over time as well and it's not Absolutely. something that happens quickly yeah. and once you are attached to someone it can be very difficult to detach absolutely my next question actually was when a victim decides mm-hmm. to leave an unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. has done so you know it's commonly thought of that that victim is no longer experiencing any of the abuse mm-hmm. is that true i don't think so No. I don't think so. You know, and and I think it completely depends upon uh how you define the abuse actually. Yeah. 
Right. Because say, for example, that I have moved out. Now I'm out of out of this relationship myself for the last seven years, you know, I'm I'm divorced. Right. However, because we have a child between us, yes, the control continues. Of course. Right. Yeah. And when I say the control continues, now the child actually becomes the pawn in this whole, like it becomes that strategy in this entire you know, relationship. So there's mm -hmm. control with, uh, you know, how am I going to visit my child? When am I going to visit my child? I'm going to keep a control over if you need my help, I will decide whether I want to help you or not. Right. right? I'm not going to just give in because you need that help. So I would very much say that just because a victim has moved out of an abusive relationship doesn't mean that the abuse has stopped. You do not have to be staying physically in the same house for the abuse to continue. Right. And that's where we have to emphasize abuse is not just physical. Right. It's emotional control and manipulation. It's constant gaslighting, financial control, which we see in a lot of uh, relationships where there are children involved and you have yeah. to fight for child support constantly. For sure, they withhold child support. Yeah. They change the schedule yeah. around. They Absolutely. do all these things to uh, have control over yeah. the other person, right? And Which, even if you, yeah, sorry, I, I interjected you. Well, no, that's okay. no um, I was also going to say too, oftentimes mm -hmm. the abuse gets worse once you've separated because now yeah. they're upset yeah. that you defied them. That yeah. You didn't go along with this game anymore. Yeah. yeah. And now they're going to try to make it even worse for you than it was mm -hmm. before. Yeah. And so, yeah. And then people, all, all, a lot of people will think when they haven't experienced that, that you're out now. So what's the issue? But yep. actually it does get a lot, a lot worse in most cases. A hundred percent. And you said it so well because they don't have any more control over you. I think right. I want to remind the viewers that, that this whole narcissistic relationship is all about power and control. Absolutely. It is. Yep. Right. Yep. Even using love, affection, appreciation, it's all used to control the other person in the relationship. It's true. It's right. True. So, I think the anger comes more from, I don't have any more control over your life. Right, right, exactly. Now, how can a person, mm -hmm. a victim in that situation, navigate the behavior of a narcissistic ex after they've separated that's uh, obviously causing more issues for them? How can a person navigate that? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, the first thing I would emphasize on is that if you can go no contact with the person, then that would be the first thing you should be doing when you're getting out of a narcissistic relationship. And there are plenty of books out there which are going to tell you why no contact is important. Because I'm going to be pointing this out and I, I want the viewers to understand that there is no judgment here. I have lived a narcissistic relationship myself and I'm still in my healing journey seven years down the line and I know it's going to take me a long time to move on and to reach another stage in that journey yes but a narcissist and an empath often have something called as codependency yes right and codependency is as dangerous as addiction so addiction to anything in your life you have to sometimes completely abstain from that you know, source of addiction in order to actually be able to heal. 
and more so when the addiction is to toxic relationships because that's all that you have known you've only known relationships where people have been unavailable where people have been uh, you know emotionally abusive towards you if that's all you have known then in order to heal out of it you have to first stop the contact with a person who is like that yeah give yourself space and time to heal yeah to build a supportive community to take care of yourself which is very wounded by all of that yeah right. absolutely i agree that that definitely has to be done if it says right. if you're still in contact with that person i mean those was, those yeah. things are still creeping in they're still in your brain they're taking space in your brain still right 100% and i was going to come to that because you know you and i can relate to this no contact would be a great option actually if we could do it yes but often people can't do it because right. they have children with yes. the person or they it. have yeah big part of it now how do you navigate co-parenting yeah. with a narcissist yeah and 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 heal at the same time as that how do we navigate that yeah and and before i come to that question shona if i can just yeah. probably talk a little bit about if you have to stay in contact with the narcissist yes. partner then how right. do you take care of yourself and then i would like to come to the parenting sure. piece right because yes. often i think what happens is that as parents our parenting hat takes the primary attention yes. but how do you become a parent who can raise a child in a healthy manner if you don't take care of yourself first so i'm going right. to talk a little bit about how do you take care of yourself when you have to still be in touch with this individual even if you have a child or you don't have a child because a child could be a reason but sometimes people have to be in contact because you know i'm financially dependent on you or my immigration is uh, you know still dependent on you or maybe we have common family and friends and we keep bumping into each other because we have other dependents like senior parents or fur animals sometimes people actually share fur babies yeah. right so you have to stay in touch the first thing i'm going to tell that if you are in contact with this person and you have to keep in contact keep the communication to the minimum and to the point of what you really need from them because they are going to try drawing you into conversations which are going to be emotionally draining a narcissist is very skilled in doing that when they see that they are losing control over you they don't have power anymore on you they are going to start pulling you in in other ways because they want to engage with you they want to feel powerful right yeah. and if you're going to react they are going to feel powerful look i got the reaction again from you that's the reason why i left you they want you to feel like that right so the critical part is keep your communication limited to what you need if it's say a child then have a you know and i know that you and i have spoken about this before if you need to talk about scheduling keep it on a app like there are plenty of apps now that parents who are co-parenting use everything is recorded the communication is to the minimum yeah this is the time you're going to pick up our daughter that's about it we don't need anything more than that very right? short and sweet to the point to the point because yeah. the more you do that the more and they they also will learn the narcissistic partner will learn if you continue doing it with them they know that they they are not going to be able to control you anymore it might take a few attempts but often you know if you continue pushing back like that you will see that they will stop at some point 
Right. right. I mean, I think part of the whole allure for them is baiting you and getting you into a situation where they get these emotions out of you. Right. Absolutely. And it makes them feel powerful and it makes them feel yeah. confident with themselves because yeah. they're doing that to you. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I can see how that is a big part of it all. Absolutely. To, to that very short and sweet. Yeah. And if you can, no contact, if that's an option. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The second thing I would say is that, um, you know, one would be very straightforward, as you said, very to the point communication. Now, do not expect them to give you closure. That is the second thing I'm going to tell. Mm -hmm. A narcissist cannot feel empathy. And often as people who have survived it, we want closure. We want to yes. tell our side of the story. We want that person to acknowledge that, Yes, I was wrong. I could have handled it differently. Right. But do not expect that because that will never happen. That's true. Right? And I think uh, in those kind of situations, we can tend to want to have that from that person and we long for it. Yeah. But yeah, I think if we come to the realization that we're not going to get it and we have to give that to ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it very well because... It's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, you're not going to get closure. Right. But let me tell you, I tried getting that closure for five years after I was divorced. After I got separated and then divorced, five years, all I tried every single time we had a communication was to somehow get a closure, somehow have him say sorry. I, I used to have these fantasies that he's going to say sorry to me. He's going to right. apologize. He's yeah. going to really be, uh, you know, apologetic and, and actually acknowledge that what he did was not okay. Yeah. But as I journeyed through my healing, I realized that this individual is not capable of that emotion. And I was able to reach that point only when I was able to also be compassionate to myself. Yes. Right. So, so that would be a big piece. Another big piece to keep in mind, which I would like to share with our viewers that you are not insane or crazy for what you're experiencing. What you've gone through as a narcissistic wound is as bad as what veterans go through when they are in war. You're constantly fighting a battle each day of your life to survive and to keep your emotional sanity. True. So to be compassionate that I have had a really, really difficult experience and the way I'm responding and reacting right now is absolutely normal in that context. Yes, of course. You right? have to give yourself that, that great yeah. to say, you know what, this is absolutely normal for you to be feeling this. And yeah. you do what you need to do to get through that and to heal from that. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because when you're going to give yourself that space to cry, to get angry, you know, to even probably I've done these things and I, I would like to share these. Like I've written letters to my abusive partner. Yes. And I've, yes. What I've done is I've written those letters and I have kept them for some time. And then when I'm ready, I've taken them out. I've torn them into pieces. I've even, you know, done burning rituals. Sometimes if you are living around in a place where you are safely going to be able to burn it, I've burned the letter. But yes. I've taken it out of my system. Right. Because the closure I'm expecting is not in the person. The closure I'm expecting is in myself. Yes. Because the person you really are angry with, and I know that takes a little bit of time in this journey, is yourself more than yeah. the other person. 
You're angry for not seeing that person's red flags. You're angry for not noticing that they were disabusive. You're angry for staying on even when you saw that they were abusive. You're angry for trying. But I will only say that you're human. Yeah, of course. Of course. And as an empathetic person, yes. you know that people make mistakes. Yeah. And you, you think about the times when you made a mistake and you wish somebody would have given you another chance. Absolutely. And you remember that and you go, well, maybe if I give this one more chance, this will be what was needed and it'll it'll work out. Absolutely. You know, and unfortunately, that's not usually what happens. Usually mm -hmm. we just get farther, deeper into it and it's harder for you to get out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, why do you think women as a whole, mm -hmm. I, I, this is a question I'm interested in hearing your response to, we generally tend to be disappointed with the way that we're treated in romantic relationships with men. Mm -hmm. uh, now, of course, there's an exception to the rule. There are some good good men out there that mm -hmm. treat women nicely and all that. But majority-wise, mm -hmm. women aren't really happy with what's happening in the relationships. They're getting very disappointed. Why do you think that that is? Yeah, and I think to answer that, it's it's nice you're raising this question because I think we will always talk about um, the side of the victim. You know, that's that's where we are sitting, right? That, oh, the victim yeah. suffered, the victim needs help. But why are so many relationships dysfunctional today? Right. Yeah. I think that's where we are. That's where that's what the question is, really, because yeah. I don't think that women are just being unreasonably dissatisfied or they are not just being unreasonably disappointed. There's a very right. valid reason for it. Very much so. I would go back to the way both men and women are socialized. Yeah. I am a firm believer in um, the fact, you know, I do a lot of energy work myself. Like I practice alternative energy techniques like Reiki. Um, I have done some studies in plant medicine healing with a plant medicine healer. I'm still continuing that study. And I strongly believe, a lot of ancient cultures believe it, that everybody has the masculine and the feminine energy in them. Yes. Feminine energy is the energy which is nurturing, warm, calming, all of those qualities. The masculine energy is the one which is assertive, fierce, strong. Now, when we are raising our children, a healthy, well-balanced individual would be one where both these energies are in balance. Yes. Right? So they are able to be assertive, fierce when they need to be, but they are also able to empathize, be nurturing, listen, care about others. Right. However, yes. our society, unfortunately, emphasizes on the feminine side for women and the masculine side for men. Right. So even if a young boy is sensitive, he's crying when he's fallen down, which is a very valid and reasonable response from a child. Yes. What do parents say? Hey, why are you crying like a girl? Or if a husband takes care of his wife, cooks for her, a lot of times in the community I come from, they are called as hen-pegged husbands. Look at him. He's always behind his wife. Right. Aren't those the qualities that we want to see? Isn't that what functional relationships are made of? Especially yeah. given that women are increasingly coming into the workforce. They are yeah. working. They are managing children. They are managing households. A supportive partner would basically mean someone who's able to walk with them in each walk of their life. Yes. So that's, I think, what causes the dissatisfaction. Yeah. 
and and a, and a man to realize that yeah. women are, are expected to do a lot more things now that they have more choices yeah. and to carry a significant amount of that load as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's supposed to be a partnership. Absolutely. That's what you do in a partnership, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I agree with you. And personally, I think there's a lot of things that need to be done to fix that. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest would be something that we could do as a society mm-hmm. to fix that issue. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go back to what you and I started with, the way we raise our boys and the way yeah. we raise our girls. Yeah, yeah. Approach has to be balanced. It does. It does. Right. 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 Like we, we have to remember that if you want a man to actually be sensitive while also being fierce in his approach, to be respectful, but also to stand up for his family, that combination has to start right from the early years. Yes, that's true. The way we raise our boys is a critical part of the picture. Yes. Now, grown men, if they are already grown up, they are adults, it's very difficult to change that. So all we can really do there is to hope that, you know, if they are supported in the right way and they really, really are invested in their relationships, they're going to be able to make a shift. Yes, true. Right. But if you want to make an impactful change, it has to happen at the level of the way we raise our children the way our society views men and women and the gender roles that they play. Yeah. You should not get scared if a woman is assertive and knows what she wants. True. We should not feel that a man should not be sensitive and not cry. I'll be telling you this. Today, the level of mental health concerns, severe mental health concerns in our society is extremely high among men. Suicide rates... Completed suicide rates are extremely high among men. Why do you think that's the case? Right. Because women suffer more from chronic mental health illnesses. Right. Because they're not given that outlet to be able to feel comfortable expressing themselves. Absolutely. And it does start from the bottom up, the way they were raised, how, you know, uh, and so that's, that's got to be why. I mean, they, and that's got to be difficult. I can just imagine how difficult that must be. Um, and to even live your life according to that in a in a healthy way, mm-hmm. you're going to have backlash from the rest of society, which doesn't understand it either, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's really a big issue, and I think it would be a good idea. Actually, I'm thinking now that having a male perspective on the show, maybe perhaps for the next episode, would be a really great idea. So we could talk to them about yeah. how they're feeling and what they think should be done. Yeah. in terms of fixing that as well. I think that that would be a great next episode for us. Mm-hmm. My mind is really now about having someone come on. I think that would be a fabulous idea. Yeah. Now I agree with you. That would be lovely if you can have that, uh, you know, male perspective. I and my um, current work actually work with both men and women. So I know that there is so much of wisdom that men carry as well, which we need to give attention to which we need to listen to because at the end of the day Shauna we don't want to be a society filled with dysfunctional broken disconnected relationships no no of course not so you can't work with one end of the spectrum and not work with the other absolutely I agree with you on that I really do and I think breaking it down and really seeing where those things are coming from is another way for us to work together as a society on the female end of it as well. 
Um, and I just want to say, I, I'm really happy that you could come on again and explain what we had discussed before on the other episodes more in depth and give people a bit more of a perspective on the different aspects of those cycles and things like that. So I really appreciate you coming on and work. I want to know actually, where can we find you on social media? Cause I know there's probably going to be a lot of people out there that would love to reach out to you and talk to you about their specific situations mm-hmm. to get your input on things. So where can we find you on social media? Sure. So I am um, uh, quite active on Instagram um, and uh, Facebook. That's another way to reach out to me. I'm actually active on LinkedIn as well. If pe- people want to um, connect with me there, uh, I'm always looking forward to hearing, you know, from uh, individuals who have seen our show, who have thoughts around it, topics that they would want to hear about. So absolutely, it could be Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I am on all those social media uh, sites. Yes. And I know, Sean, I did share uh, my details with you. So if, if you have an opportunity to share that with the viewers that would be really really nice if anybody wants to connect absolutely and i'm actually going to be making a post asking if anyone has any specific questions that they would like answered and we can have those answered in one of our next episodes i'm definitely going to be having sishira on for many of the episodes we have a lot of topics that we'd like to get into together and i enjoy having her on the show every single time and i just want to say to to the viewers watching If you are going through something that we're just discussing right now and you do need help, please reach out to either of us. We're here to help you. Uh, We can guide you in the right direction. And I don't want you to feel like you're alone because you really do have someone that is here that will listen to you and try to help you as best possible. And just remember that you you can get out of it Mm -hmm. and find uh, peace and happiness and it is out there for you just have to take the necessary steps and if you feel like you still need to stay that's okay too you do what is best for you and in your time Um, that's always important and before I go I want to say what I always say at the end of my show always let the music live through you Mm -hmm. thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time on talk with Shauna right here on the Femme Network, Female Empowerment Movement. If you'd like to continue this conversation, you can always find me on Instagram at Music 111 and my website, shaunamusic.com. It's definitely time that we start talking.